is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. And we're back for another London is Blue episode here, and uh, we're here to kind of talk about the midweek game between Chelsea women and, and Everton women, you know. Um, and as always, I have Jesse Parker Humphreys with me, and we have a special guest today. Uh, our special guest here is the senior editor for the Chelsea and Chelsea Women's Social, and it's uh, Mr. Rob Pratley. Mr. Rob, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, and thank you very much for having me. I was uh, just saying to Jesse before we started recording that this is one of the podcasts I do religiously listen to, so actually being asked on here is a real great privilege, so thank you very much. It's a pleasure to Sorry, have you. we're not that high on the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, pleasure to have you. We're not that high up on the list. No, it, it's, it's one that I... I think accurately on a regular basis, it does actually reflect the fan opinion. It does actually reflect, you know, the general consensus rather than chasing headlines. And I think increasingly um, sports podcasts, in particular football podcasts, are doing that and are chasing, you know, the aggravation more and more often. And I feel that it actually remains very measured and focuses on the facts rather than the fiction, which I think is a rare thing. There you go, folks. You have a glowing review right off the bat. You know, you can come again, Rob. Any... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can if you do that every time you come again. That... There you go, guys. That's your five star rating right off the bat from Rob. So you know what? You know you're at the right place here. Um, so kind of as I said at the top, we're gonna be talking about the game against Everton yesterday. What well, was yesterday for us? Will be day before yesterday for you, uh, listening. But um, and we're gonna cover a couple things. I think. The one most pressing matter, uh, besides the fact that Chelsea won 3-0, is that is Zichira Musevic the new number one? Shifty eyes. Jess, you called it out last week, and it seems like your uh, your prediction is, is possibly coming true after, you know, we'll, we'll get into it. Um, we'll also look at, you know, Everton's frailties and kind of how we blew them away so early on. And the big news... The return of Marin Mielda and Magda Eriksson, how how we missed both of them and the team and how the whole defense kind of fared. And you know what? Suddenly we have a lot of options at the back, you know, a lot of quality options at the back. So I think we'll get into it. But first, we're going to go into the patented three-word match review. Jesse, I'm going to let you go first. Yeah, I've gone with hunting them down um, because I said this last night uh, for any patron listeners who who haven't been listening, uh, we've got this new thing, SW6, putting uh, six points out after each of the games. Uh, but I finished off by saying that by the time Arsenal play their next WSL match, we could be top of the league. So hunting them down, I've, I've got the good vibes. You know, obviously the men won last night too. So the sun's out in England, you know, and I'm feeling, I'm feeling positive for once. Absolutely fantastic. Rob, what's your three-word match review? Hey guys, it's Editor Jake. Uh, women's Pod may not be as familiar with me. Not often cutting in. They're pros. But we lost a bit of audio here for Rob. His match review was just keep winning. Uh, if, as long as we just keep you know, winning on the pitch, it will achieve the aims. And I think it also is a good thing to distract the players because winning builds a confident mentality. It builds a good mentality and it keeps the dressing room you know, in good mood and not worrying about these things. Excellent. I couldn't couldn't agree more. And um, kind of my thing is finishing them quick because, I mean, Everton were just basically down and out after that first half. 45 minutes, three goals. And it's kind of been the kind of opposite of the last couple of weeks where Chelsea have struggled to get goals early on and they've been leaving it really, really late. But, but you know, yesterday was just a clean clinical, kind of the, the Chelsea of old. So 
that's, that's I appreciated it because I feel like there, there hasn't been enough focus on the girls like getting it done so then we can also watch the boys whereas after 15 minutes last night I was like this is great we can put the Champions <laughs> League on we're all good we don't have to worry whereas for the, the Newcastle and the Villa game I was like why we could have had this sorted so much earlier yeah come on guys like that, see, see, they listened to you. Yeah, they thought about it, and they said, "You know what? Need to let Jesse watch some Champions League. <laughs> Let's finish this off in forty-five minutes, ladies, and you know, let's just go for it." So here we are. Let's just get into the details. Obviously, we played Everton Wednesday, March sixteenth, the Women's Super League at Walton Hall Park. Scoreline pretty, pretty emphatic. Uh, Everton nil, Chelsea three, with goals from Kerr, Wrighton, and Cuthbert. Um, Chelsea wanted. Uh, um, Jesse, do you want to dive into the Chelsea and Everton lineups? Yeah, so um, as as trailed uh, in the introduction by Abdullah, Zakira Musovic started in goal again for the third consecutive time. Um, we had the same uh, kind of back three uh, with wing-backs that we had against uh, Villa. So Jess Carter, Anik Naon, Millie Bright. We had Guru Wrighton actually playing at, at left wing-back, um, but Neve Charles stuck around at right wing-back. Double pivot of Sophie Ingle and Aaron Cuthbert. And then... Jesse Fleming coming back into the starting lineup, as well as Aaron had, uh, to play in a front three with Kerr and Harder. Um, lots of substitutions as well. Um, thanks. That's also what you can do when you go 3-0 up at half time is kind of ring the changes. So so we saw five players coming on. Um, obviously, again, as we said, Magdalena Eriksson and Marimielda both coming back into the team. Uh, but we also saw Drew Spence, Beth England get some minutes and Alsu Abdelina too. Um, and like really nice chunks of time for all of those players. Excellent. And and we've been talking about, right, rotation is key and good to see the players getting some minutes and, and, and getting some some flow in, into their game. So I'll just quickly go through the stats. So it's been quite, it's quite staggering. I mean, Chelsea 16 shots to Everton's five, of which Chelsea had five on target, Everton had none. A whopping 65-35% possession for Chelsea and almost double their passes in 620 versus 349. Um, much higher passing accuracy at 83%. Eight to four fouls. Surprisingly, no cards in this game. Kind of in, in, indicating kind of how the game went. Pretty pretty standard, pretty simple. Nothing, no one's stressing out. Um, one offside for Chelsea and, and six corners versus Everton's one. Um, and kind of the XG of the game was quite, again... Uh, pretty much the same. I mean, it was a 1.5 for Chelsea and, and a 0.1 for, for Everton there. So kind of, again, one of those games where the the, the stats kind of tell a story here. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's 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 a great, uh, it was a good game, stress-free. You need one of those every once in a while. But um, you know what? Before we get into it, let's quickly rush into an ad break and, and thank the, the sponsor for actually uh, supporting the show. And we'll be right back. And we're back. Um, so kind of a couple of reminders. We're obviously covering the team every week. And, you know, every so often we'll, we'll, we'll have some announcements of things that we're bringing in new. Jesse talked about it at the top of the show. The new Patreon members get some 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 new bits and pieces coming in for both the men and women's team. So that's kind of, kind of one bit of news. And uh, obviously rate and review on Apple Podcasts and kind of wherever you listen to it, wherever you can. And, and any, any sort of uh, rate and review for us is gets the word out to more people and we can, you know, and then more people can listen to us and listen to Rob's glowing review of, of the show and, and how, how we take it forward. And again, I think you should join us on Patreon. Great community there for the Chelsea women. And, and again, we're really focusing on bringing in some stellar content there now and really bringing the focus back. But anyway, we're here to talk about Chelsea's game. Um, let's get into the first thing, kind of the most 
it's 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 a weird topic that I don't think most of us would have kind of expected at the beginning of the season to kind of happen now, especially this season, probably maybe next season, season after. But is Zichira Musevich currently the first choice goalkeeper? I think it's the first time in a long time that a Chelsea goalkeeper other than AKB has started three games in a row. And it's starting to become quite telling after that game against um, you know Everton that you know there is no reason now to kind of drop Musevich again because it's weird if you drop Raf after this. But anyway, we'll get into it. So kind of what do the stats say? You know, it's, it's obviously a small sample size, but Jesse, what what are your initial thoughts of of Musevich over AKB and and you know what are the stats telling us here? Yeah, I mean, I personally can't exactly figure out what's going on I feel like there are a number of different options knowing the way Hayes likes to play things I think it's entirely possible that AKB could have a small knock and Hayes just doesn't want to talk about it and wants to leave her on the bench and play Musevich I think equally it's possible that Hayes felt frustrated by the Conti Cup final performance and there's quite a nice run of games here and she just wanted to give Zachira the opportunity to play back to back you know in kind of it is a high pressure situation obviously but almost not really for the goalkeeper because in all of these games really we haven't really had to see Musevich make a save yet which also again makes it a bit of a strange decision because if you did really want to drop AKB normally when we talk about dropping goalkeepers it's because you're worried that they're gonna like fumble the ball in and like let the team down but kind of as we've seen in all three of these games Musevich has played she's had almost nothing to do and that would have been equally as true for AKB um yeah I took a look at you know kind of what the stats said um yeah with the caveat that um Zachira obviously hasn't played a huge amount this season but AKB pretty much comes out on top still um you know she's she's the better shot stopper um she kicks better uh, especially long um, she's better at dealing with kind of balls in the air, crosses coming into the box. Um, the only thing that Zachira kind of stands out over AKB on is kind of this sweeper keeper role. But again, when you've got these <laughs> these kind of game states, it's kind of hard for you to judge. Like you just said, kind of Everton only had like one corner. Like how many balls are they even putting into the box for her to like come and claim? So, you know. Currently, at the moment, AKB kind of statistically stands out, but it's hard to read too much into it. Rob, I don't know what what your take is. What what do you think is going on here? I mean, from a again, I sort of start with Musevich because I've in the last couple of games that actually been played at Kings Meadow, and at the end of the game, I've actually had a bit of a chat with her um, when she's sort of come over and spoken to supporters, and it's very clear like there's a great camaraderie in the goalkeeping department, but also a really great rivalry, and she made it very clear that she wants to, you know start more games she wants to play more minutes she sees herself as being good enough for that now I think you know there's again I wouldn't be surprised if there was some sort of knock with Berger it's also worth noting that Berger played an awful awful lot of football um sort of in the last 18 months and even with you know a goalkeeper not necessarily being the highest stamina intensive position there's also been COVID off the field sort of issues that we don't necessarily know about if she's been affected by that. And I think Emma Hayes, as usual, for the for better or worse, is keeping her cards close to her chest <laughs> because I don't think she wants that to be, you know, known. I did notice in I think it was the um uh in the Conti Cup final that at one point when I think it was for the first goal, when Berger did dive, um she did sort of dive down on her arm 
And afterwards, when she got back up, she was having a conversation with Jess Carter um, about it. And I don't really know if it was about, you know, blame for the goal or if it was some sort of knock, but I didn't think she looked anywhere near her comprehensive and sort of confident self because she's so good usually at dealing with the long balls and dealing with the balls in the air. And that was where City sort of undone us. At the same time, I don't think it's a bad thing that Musovic is getting a run of games because I would rather be in a position where I can trust both our goalkeepers so that, if, you know, if there is a situation where either of them get injured or worse, get a red card or whatever, or get concussed, you can bring someone on and be confident in them. Because I think that's the issue City had earlier in the season with the best will in the world sort of enemy. She's not anywhere near, she doesn't hold a candle to um, Ellie Roebuck. And I think her coming on creates that uncertainty in the defence. And that's why I think Kira Keating has been prefer- preferred in recent weeks, because although she's a much younger goalkeeper, she has that confidence and that air of authority around her. And I think that's what Musovic really does have for her. You get the feeling, and I know she does talk a lot in games. She definitely does talk to the defence and organise the defence. And I think that's, you know, a real boon for sort of how to operate, especially in the absence of Magda Eriksson, who's usually most vocal at the back. Yeah, and I wonder if as well, like with the Wolfsburg game where Musovic kind of had to come in last minute because AKB picked up COVID, it felt like that really unsettled our defence. And I wonder if also that was a bit of a lesson for Emma about that Musovic hadn't kind of come in maybe and played enough games to create a level of comfort. And maybe this is therefore an opportunity to say, well, we can have it so that everyone it kind of gets familiar with, with whatever goalkeeper. So, you know, like Rob said, if then there does come a thing where suddenly we have to switch someone out, it's not going to maybe impact us as much as it felt like to me it did in that, that Wolfsburg game in December. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think um, I, I take, I take. Um, I mean, your, your point and Rob's point of having trusting two goalkeepers. I think we all know the quality of Musevic and the reason she was brought in on the free was because she's been so highly rated since from a young age, right? She's still a very, very young goalkeeper. And I think playing at a high level at, at, at Chelsea, and again, going back to the, the point that, that Rob, you mentioned about Man City's kind of like injury crisis, that right? Robert got injured and then, and, and, uh, you know, even the backups got injured when you get to Kira Keating. When you have Musovic being able to be as highly, as, as trustful and, and, and also getting used to the system, right? Because Musovic would have come in and is, there's only so much training you can do on the pitch and uh, the training ground to be able to get used to the way the system works, how you play with defenders in match situations, um, you know, but I, and I think that also, like you said, plays a part. In, in the whole fact of that, you know, th- you know, she needs to get used to everybody. And the fact that she's been playing with, a lo- like in this game specifically, she's kind of not played with a few different combinations at the back in the last couple of games. You know, I kind of all put together. Magda came back. Marin came back. But a question I'm going to throw to both of you is, do you think that, you know, like we said, it could be a knock to, to AKB and we go to, let's assume for a second, AKB is healthy for, for midweek against uh, in the Champions League. If Musovic starts that game, do we then really officially think that she is going to be number one from now on? Or is it still going to be, uh, you know, all right, we're giving you a chance. And because you've impressed in three games, sort of, because you have, well, while you haven't had to do much, here's a big, big game for you to go in and, and play. Jesse, I'll start with you very quickly. I think it's kind of hard to judge because we don't really have any big games like every as I said every game is big but I guess it wouldn't really be until we get to United at the end of the season that I would say this is a really like high level attacking opponent like even I know we've got to play Spurs twice but again they're the kind of team you worry about because 
they're going to be quite good defensively, not because they're going to overwhelm you going forward. So I don't really know what point. It's just like AKB is like, I really like Zakira Musevich. She's obviously like an amazing person on top of being a clearly good goalkeeper. But AKB has been one of the best, if not the best goalkeepers in the world for the past three seasons. So I don't think kind of that disappears overnight. I don't really feel like there is a length of games. And I think the other thing I will say is that we know Hayes kind of has this tendency to kind of drop players for large periods of time. And then suddenly she picks them back up and they're like her number one again. You know, Jonna Anderson's been the obvious example this season, but we've also seen it with Jess Carter. Neve Charles is kind of on that hype at the moment. So again, it always feels very hard within this Chelsea team to say, well, definitively, these are her favourite players. Because aside, I think, really from Fran, Sam and Penila, everyone else, it feels like it's just kind of up for grabs. And even Fran recently, I know she's now ill, but even in the couple of games before that, it felt like she was on a bit of a, like, Emma Hayes low period. So I just feel like the nature of Hayes is you can never really... No one feels like they've ever got their position totally nailed down. Yeah, Rob, do you echo those sentiments? Yeah, the only other name I'd add to that list is Millie Bright because I don't, I can't remember many games of Millie Bright <laughs> That's true. this season. Um, of course. But all through her Chelsea career, for that matter. But I think, yeah, I think for me, it's the the real acid test is that how, if, you know, Berger has taken a knock and is coming back to sort of, you know, full fitness, fair enough. But if, you know, behind the scenes, maybe there's something, you know, in training, maybe Emma feels that she's got too comfortable in sort of her position as number one. And sometimes you just need that, you know, that little bit of the incentive. And I get the feeling Berger isn't the sort of player to take anything for granted. So I'm sure, you know, behind the scenes, she's probably working twice as hard and training twice as hard. And to be honest, I'd rather have that mentality, especially going into the business end of the season. I would rather no player feeling their position is comfortable because I want, you know, 11 players to be going out there and fighting for every single minute because that's what it's going to take to win a title. I think it would be fair to say that, okay, maybe last year I think was more due to complacency at times is why Chelsea dropped points in last year's uh, sort of title running. I think this year has been a harder, you know, battle because Chelsea have had to continually come from behind. And I think, you know, next Wednesday would be the first time all season Chelsea can go top of the league um, in the entire year. And the fact they've got to, you know, perform that role of hunting an opponent down, I think that means you need every single player to be on the ball. So I think it's maybe just a little bit of a warning to Berger. But at the same time, you can't deny the quality that she obviously has. And I think she will return to being number one sooner, sooner rather than later. Well, you heard it here, folks. Um, right. So let's let's move on. Um, it's a good segue into <clears throat> kind of the rest of the game and kind of where kind of the landscape of the game landed and kind of where Everton are, where Chelsea were against them and, and kind of what, what we feel out of it. So obviously Chelsea won 3-0 and, and I think the first half especially felt like a quite an easyish game for Chelsea to kind of run through Everton. I mean, they've not been on the greatest run so far. Um, you know, Everton kind of, almost their organization wasn't the best. They left a lot of space in behind Dan Turner. So go right and Penelope Harder in that, you know, in, in their areas on the left side and in center midfield, center attacking midfield were able to run into and kind of capitalize on this areas. I mean, we saw that a couple of those goals came from outside the box, right? Uh, when you look at Cuthbert and, and Wrighton's goal. Um, so kind of 
you know, Rob, I'll start with you very quickly. What was your assessment of the two halves, you know, individually and maybe even together? Do you think that Chelsea kind of put their foot off the gas in the, in the second half? And was it, um, you know, and how well did Chelsea kind of capitalize on Everton's kind of frailties that they've had this season? I mean, I'll start by saying from an Everton tactical point of view, I think giving Panilla harder 10 yards to operate in, in the first half for sort of the first 15 minutes was absolute, just, you know, one of the worst tactical decisions I've seen. And it staggered me the amount of times Harder could just pick the ball up sort of inside the Everton half and travel, you know, 10 to 20 yards every single time and no one was getting near her. And I've said this elsewhere that I think there's an element of a fear factor with Panilla Harder is defenders see her, you know, embarrassing other players and they worry and they think, you know, I don't want to get embarrassed like that. You know, they've seen people like Aether Menion who has been really good this year for Manchester United turned into you know, a spinning top by Penilla Harder at her best. And uh, Therese Stottier, who obviously, you know, has been a winner of um, the WSL before and has won the title, being turned into a spinning top by Harder. So I think defenders do look at that. But I also think Chelsea started the game, and I think this is partly comes back to the late winner against Aston Villa. They started the game with the same charisma and intensity that they finished the game against Villa with in that sort of desperation to get that goal. And as soon as that goal went in, Sam Kerr goal, I think you could see at that point, Everton's heads just, you know, not metaphorically, physically dropped. And they were like, yeah, you know, we're on the line for a sort of pasting here. And I think it was a case of how many Chelsea wanted to get, in all honesty, in the first half. Um, you know, obviously, two wonderful long-range strikes from uh, Wrighton and from Cuthbert. But it wasn't as if Chelsea, you know, just scored two sort of wonder goals out of nowhere and took the game away from them. They had numerous chances, times where the final ball wasn't good enough, times where the defender cleared it sometimes where they missed, you know, opportunities. And it could have been, you know, five or six quite easily. When it comes to the second half, I think, you know, the half hour, half time period didn't really help anyone because players seemed to come out and, you know, get ready. And to be honest, I think by that point, you sort of saw Emma bring them all in. And I think she just said to them, you know, conserve energy, don't get injured, was sort of the instructions for it. And we'll rotate. And to be honest, I don't mind that at 3-0 because I don't I don't think the title is going to come down to goal difference. I've said this a couple of times. I think it will be won on the points basis and the game was already won. You could have blown up at half time and I don't think anyone would have complained in all honesty. Yeah, no, I mean that's uh I know that that's absolutely that's absolutely I mean that's a that's a really good assessment. And I think the the points about reserving energy, keeping it, you know, that's that's avoid injury because the season is there and, and Chelsea just really have to focus on just trying to get three points each game. So if if you've got the game in the bag in 45 minutes, 50 minutes, 60 minutes, turn off and then just preserve the players and just get rotation. And because you don't know which game you're going to require more energy on, which game where players are going to get injured and you need other ones to come in. So giving players extra minutes, you know, reserving energy, I think will really come in, come in handy. Jesse, so, you know, we saw... Um, you know, Jess Carter did really well to to kind of take care of Claire Emsey at the back, following her. And, and we've talked about this before. Jess Carter is an excellent defender when you ask her to man mark and kind of do one thing. Jess Carter specifically as well, but what did you think of, and obviously she played a left centre back. What did you think of the kind of the back three fives performance in this game? While we know they didn't do much, but um, generally speaking, what did you think of the back five and, and kind of where do you see this going forward in terms of what Emma Hayes does? 
Yeah, I think Jess Carter just kind of stood out to me because I just kept I noticed how high she kept getting up the pitch, and you know it worked really well for for Chelsea that when we were kind of it felt like Claire Emsey was kind of getting sucked into trying to get the ball, and that was allowing Jess Carter to push up. So then suddenly when we did turn over the ball because of our press, we had extra players up, and I think really that left hand side, especially felt like put um, Everton under a lot of pressure. That kind of right and harder Carter combination um I thought was really effective and to be honest I think if you could tell Harder was coming back from a kind of games not really played um her touch wasn't really there I think if it had been um Everton could have been in even more trouble than than they actually were but I also just kind of agree with Rob it felt like as soon as that first Sam Kerr goal went in that was kind of it and done I think especially the form Everton are in at the moment it, it felt very hard to believe that they would come back and you know, ever since we lost to them in the FA Cup, not last year, but the year before, it feels like we were still on a revenge tour from that because we do absolutely pace them every time we play them. Um, and I feel like they've kind of got that in their heads. I think the only thing, you know, for me that I felt like as the game went on, and it's a hard one to judge, is that, you know, Everton kind of made this halftime change. They took Natalie Bjorn off. They brought Lucy Graham on. Basically, I went to this back four, boosted their midfield, and kind of immediately they came out of the blocks a lot quicker. Again, as Rob said, the half time I was so I was so confused by what was going on because I was only kind of half paying attention to half time uh, because like I'd put the Champions League on, blah blah, blah taking a break, getting a drink. And then I was like sitting down. I was like, I'm sure this was supposed to start like five minutes ago. And then like by there'd been like 25 minutes of half time. And I went on Twitter like, what is happening? Anyway, the referee was injured. That's why they had to get a new referee. Um, but yeah, it felt like Everton came out a lot quicker. And we it wasn't that we couldn't deal with it. It was it was very much like the Villa game in that it wasn't really like Everton felt like a threat. It just felt very hard for us to get a foot on the ball. And I do think this is a bit of a problem that we're kind of coming up against where when there is a beefed up midfield, we don't necessarily know how to get around that. Now, because we were 3-0 up at half time, it doesn't really matter. And there wasn't much incentive to have to figure it out. And actually, really, Everton's pressure only lasted probably for about 15 minutes. And then we kind of got a bit, bit more into our rhythm. But I think that was just something that I was a bit like, all about um but yeah in terms of the back three I think we're gonna like talk about this a bit more when we talk about Marin and Magda um but they didn't really have much to do but I do think the return of those players um and like what you were saying Abdullah about the number of defenders we suddenly now have we've gone from like not having a single defender in the building to having loads of them um will be an interesting thing to see Hayes figure out because again we're seeing the back three again I don't know if this is also a City Conti Cup reaction thing whether it's come from that but I had much I was much preferring the back four I was on that I was really afar on that train and I'm not really sure about it just because I think we especially I don't know whether it's because we wanted to match up Everton they often play in back three um and and to that extent it did really work in the first half but I just feel like it's a bit of a waste for like lots of our players especially in a game like this where the opposition have like so little to do and I think Carter now and, and Bright aside from when Millie Bright becomes a number nine all three of them are quite defensive players they're not like and this is why it would be interesting with Magda back but Magda's someone who's always you know even a back four really pushes forward you know Tony Rudiger style etc etc but I think when you're playing those th those three players 
you really are just taking three players out of the game because they're not going to contribute much. And I think that's just something that I'm like, just feels like a shame more than anything else. I totally agree with you there. Like in, in the in the sense that, it, I, you know what? I would have been okay starting with the back four and switching to the three if you wanted to give players like Marin and, and Magda the, the time on the pitch and switch the formation just to kind of fit them in. And I, I love your point about the fact that you're almost wasting three players because if you had Magda at left center back, at least you know that she can safely step up and even a little bit higher than normal and kind of you know play a little bit more of a playmaking role and still have two other center backs behind it to kind of cover in and and protect her side as well. Um, so I, I definitely take that take that point on, uh, on board. Um, I quickly want to touch on one more thing about about the team, and it's it's kind of the. The, the, the constant kind of discussions we've been having around the midfield and specifically the double pivot in the middle. Um, there's a tweet here from from Kieran Doyle. Shout out to Kieran. Um, he talks about the team being so dependent on Sophie Ingle that if she's playing, the team is like top three in the world, can hang with anybody, and it goes well. When Ingle doesn't play well, suddenly the team doesn't doesn't hold well and it capitulates to, to an extent. So, Rob, I'm going to start with you. How important do you think Sophie Ingle is to the team? And do you think she needs to be in every starting 11 alongside somebody else? Or is she someone you bring in on a game-to-game basis, depending on who you're up against? It's really nice to actually see someone else um, echo my view on Sophie Ingle, because I've maintained this view for about sort of 12 months now of the I think, and I, I think it's in general, is that I think the defensive midfielder, the sort of water carrier as they've been previously sort of known is so crucial in any system but especially in any time you play with a 3-4-3 or 3-5-2 or even in a 4-3-3 when you've got one sitting defensive player because I think when they're present you don't really notice them they sort of just keep things ticking along but when they're absent or they play poorly you really notice it and I think that was the case in the Conti Cup final normally in the Conti uh, when we played against Manchester City earlier in the season and we had uh, Fleming uh, Cuthbert playing. Every time City tried those pacey fast breaks, there was one of them getting back and either, you know, fouling them or disrupting them, making them turn sort of away. Whereas in that game, I think it was England G um, started in that game and it didn't look balanced. There was a confusion as to who was going forward, who was staying back. Ingle was getting pulled all sort of all out of the place. And Caroline Weir, I think it was sort of, you know, completely sort of pulled her all over the place, especially in the second half. I really think that the thing Chelsea need to do going forward is working out that if Ingle isn't in form or isn't available, who is occupying that specific defensive role? Because I don't think there's anyone else that can do that. And I think that's where the major gap in the squad for me is. There needs to be someone who is a similar mould to Sophie Ingle. Perhaps you're looking at someone who's a bit younger, a bit more mobile maybe, who specifically is there as the defensive midfielder to break up play and isn't trying, you know, the ambitious creative passing of Shea G or the forward running of Cuthbert and Fleming, they're specifically there to break things up because whenever you don't have that, I'm always really concerned because that's the sort of games where you don't have that. And then suddenly you get hit by a counter-attack. You can see the goal on the counter-attack and then you're fighting an uphill battle. So that's something that I've been kind of call. I mean, just I, I totally agree with you because that's something that I've actually been calling for as well. But I've been actually calling for it in the form of Aaron Cuthbert. I really feel like Aaron Cuthbert can be the answer to that to that exact role of just being your dedicated defensive midfielder to break up play. I still will caveat that by saying that there are games where you're not going to need 
someone to be purely an anchor at the, at the base of midfield because some teams games you're going to have a lot more possession like here 65 to 35 which is which is massive you don't need someone dedicated there but especially in the big games when you can when you can have someone do that and I really felt like you know Aaron Cuthbert can really be transformed in that play and I think this season she's really shown a tactical and positional discipline that I don't think I've seen from her before because I remember last year when she came on in that Champions League final she instantly to whatever extent you could change a game in terms of how they were playing in midfield, she did have an effect against against Barcelona, you know, um, and, and her, her ability to press, tackle, disrupt, destroy. I really feel like Aaron could be that that complement to whoever's playing besides her. Um, you know, Jesse, I don't know how you feel. Maybe you think that we shouldn't even have a dedicated number six. But um, yeah, what do you feel about the whole thing? I think the thing with Erin kind of playing that role is it just feels like you lose, like she's so talented going forward, like that that you lose so much by kind of shackling her, by kind of holding her back a bit more. But I do agree that I think, you know, I think when Sophie Ingle is, I agree almost exactly with what Kieran says, that when Sophie Ingle is very good, she's very, 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 very good. But when she's bad, things really fall apart. And I just feel like at the moment, or this season in particular, there has been a level of inconsistency which makes it hard to feel like you can kind of bank on her as a player. Um, and I think that's that's the concern is, yeah, that there, there doesn't feel like anyone else in the squad who can do that role in a long-term way. Like, you know, I, I get the thing that, like, Erin could be an option, but I just think... I think she her ceiling is higher in other positions, basically. Like, she's such a talented player. Like, I wouldn't say she couldn't do it because I don't think that's true. I just think she's even better at other things. So I do think it's kind of a position that that maybe has to be to be filled. Um and it's a it's a tricky one, you know, as well. Like, I find it so funny the it the women's football transfer market can feel so small that it's not necessarily always easy to like sit around and think well who would you like to kind of kind of play that role but I definitely think and you know I I mentioned this over the weekend actually that you know long term that we've got three players in our midfield at the moment who are all you know 29 or 30 so there is a a lot and and a long-term absentee now in in Melly so there is like some serious you know rebuild I think that that needs to kind of take place in in those positions really can i throw a bit of a spanner in the works with all of it so um at the moment charlotte wardlaw's doing really well out on loan in the championship at liverpool um primarily playing as a defensive midfielder um if do you think chelsea obviously knowing the situation of the club at the moment being a little bit up in the air and the fact she's had a very good season do you think chelsea should be looking into the market and looking to invest in someone or trusting one of their own? I think a bit of both. Because, to Jesse's point, there are three... No, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. No, no, no. I'll tell you why. I have a good reason why. Because, to your point, if we've got two to three players at the age of 29, 30 and going on, right, you're going to need more than just one extra player coming in, especially with many Leupolds out for a long time, right? So, if you want to... And like you said, the market is small. For the top quality players that you would want to get, that market is even smaller than than, than the rest of it. You're not going to very easily be able to convince a Bayern Munich, a PSG, a Lyon, or someone of that level to, to to part ways with a midfielder that Chelsea would want 
to, to, to raise the quality and, and, and hang with the rest of the Well, we did right? with Leupold's, so, right? So it can exactly. be done. But maybe not with it the situation right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think you're not going to be able to get maybe two or three of them, right? You'll probably get one for sure. And I agree, we should definitely buy one in because you will still, and I think it helps freshen up the squad as well. New ideas, new player, fresh blood, and someone to just kind of come in and adds a little bit more competition that, that the other players haven't seen before. A lot of these players have been playing together for the last couple of seasons, right? And if you bring in Charlotte Wardlow as well, it also then adds in the same perspective of you're bringing in one of your own, right? You're bringing in someone from the academy. You're bringing someone who's had a good season on loan uh, you know, in the championship. But at the same time, someone fresh comes from Liverpool, brings some ideas from there. She brings something a little bit different, right? And that, again, gives you the depth. But at the same time, it also gives you kind of, again, a range of roles and profiles that you can take forward. And you can actually then build them for the future as replacements for the outgoing players who are over the age of 30. So playing Wardlow plus buying a high quality player for me just makes sense to kind of extend and build the the legacy of midfield and kind of have that continuity going forward. I I do I do agree and, and I hear what you're saying. I think just for me, I'm very intrigued about what happens to to a lot of those lonely players um because there's like a strong very strong crop of them out and about right now. Um but for me I think as much as like I think someone like Charlotte Wardlow could certainly have a future at Chelsea we've done a lot of bringing in players in that kind of under 21 under 22 bracket recently and I do think it doesn't it's good for the long term and you know I think in players like Neve Charles, Nick Now and Alcio Abdelina, uh, Lauren James you're looking at players who, who you're hoping are going to be like part of the squad for the next you know eight years or whatever and that's fantastic but I don't think they necessarily bring that kind of immediate bolstering confidence that when you're looking to replace a player of Sophie Ingle's stature as well is something that I think you really really need and that's why I think personally I'd be more inclined to say okay yeah sure you know as we've said there's there's a number of positions coming up in that midfield bring Charlotte Wardlaw back, whatever. She's versatile as well. That's great. That's useful. We've seen how quickly defenders can disappear this season. Um, but I do really think it's an area where signing someone in that more like 24 to 26, 27 age bracket would be a, a lot better. Just just for like the level of experience, you know, we've seen like Sophie Ingle when she's at her best is at her best because she is a totally calm head. And some 19 year olds can just go like straight in and do that you know like Kira Walsh is like an example right who like literally just ran before she could you know like she was just amazing from the get-go but it's it's very rare like you're looking at very very rare kind of players I think especially in that position to just do that immediately so I I vote by <laughs> oh I'm, I'm technically voting both so but, but hey Lena Oberdorf Lena Oberdorf if you're listening just, just, just come to London oh, exactly. just come to London you know it'll be totally fine everything's good there's a, there, there's a young player that's 19, a 20 year old that I'd slot. take yeah. that's a 20 year old that's a 20 year old I wonder if Barcelona will, if we ask nicely will sell us Ingrid Engen but they don't seem to like her very much so maybe if we hold out for another year they'll get bored of her well that's what I genuinely I genuinely do wonder because it it must play on players minds when they go to Barcelona that once you get into the team you usually stay in the team but if you're out the team it's then very hard to get into the team 
And I think that's something when it, especially in this summer market, there's going to be an awful lot of very good players from a lot of sides that will get offers elsewhere because it's harder to, it's easy to attract talent. It's harder to retain talent as the old sort of adage goes. And I do always think the advantage with Chelsea and Hayes being a bit, you know, going back to there's never anyone held down the position is, I think you more than any other team kind of feel like there is always like a playing field and there is always a player who you can usurp there. It, she she doesn't, because she doesn't have many favourites compared to some of those other like really elite teams. Yeah, you, you have to be like Sam Kerr, Panilla Harder, Frank, like like top five players in the world sort of like level to be able to be like constantly in the team and if the AKB Musevich story is to go by then players can just take that example but I think we can go on and on and on about the transfer market and everything else but so let's just move on very very quickly to kind of the last thing we want to talk about and I think it's it's great news for us to see that Marin has made finally made her comeback after another setback and uh, Magda's back as well after a long, long absence. Um, you know, shout out to Mia saying that, you know, Magda's come back with a with a proper comeback. She got injured on the 16th of December and makes her return on the pitch today on the 16th of March. So it's quite a while since we've seen Magda on the pitch. Um, you know, what do you what do you both think about how the two of them are going to be essential for the rest of our season? Where do you see them fitting in? And, and especially because of the fact that we've had such a settled defense, even with a couple of changes here and there with Neve Charles coming in and, you know, and, and all that. But it's been such a settled team uh, lately. How do they just like walk into this team or do you slowly fit them in and you kind of rotate them in? Where, where do you see that going? Jesse, I'll start with you. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by what what happens with this. I think Marin, that makes me think there'll be a lot of caution there because, you know, she kind of came back and then she went away again. Um, So I feel like she's not going to go straight into the team. But, you know, Hayes constantly talks about how important it is just to even have her around. And I think that will be a big boost. But um, I I hope we see her get more regular minutes before the end of the season because I kind of worry... For her, like to have been out for so so long, especially with an injury that wasn't initially flagged as a bit, it was flagged as being serious, but wasn't I don't think really flagged as being like gonna keep her out for over a year kind of serious. Um, Magza is more interesting, I think, because you would assume she goes straight back into the team. Um, but again, lots of that I think rides on on how that looks rides on whether we do the back three or the back four. Um, I think the tempta- temptation, kind of understandably, given how well Anique Nouns performed, will be to play the back three with Magda as the as the left-sided centre-back and you move Jess Carter to kind of play at left-back, left-wing-back, right-wing-back, wherever you want. You kind of interchange her with Neve Charles. Um, but again, that feels tricky because Jess Carter's played really well. She never looks as good in those wing-back positions, I think, as she does in kind of the full-back positions. So if you're sticking with the back three, then are you going to prefer Guru and Neve over Jess? But she's had a great season. So I think there's a lot of decisions to be made. And it's, again, maybe the first time kind of in about six months where I felt like there are like significant decisions to be made, um, especially at the back. Um, but... I don't know. I don't think Hazel stand on sentiment, but I think Anique Nowen is is probably the player out, you know, Millie Brightside because she's she's nailed on. Is kind of the player in that defense. So I think it would be a real shame to see her drop because I think she's done 
I think it's a testament to how well she's done that we've literally barely talked about her in the time she's played. And she's played through a whole host of incredibly, incredibly important games. And like, she's basically be, been unnoticeable, which I think is one of the best things you can do as a central defender, to be honest. Kind of like the uh, defensive midfielder, right? When you when they're just kind of invisible, they just do their thing. But then the minute they're not playing well, suddenly you realize that oh wait, you're not playing well. So I, I definitely get it, Rob. Rob, what do you think? Yeah, no, I have to echo. Firstly, I want to also say how good it is to see both of them back again, especially in Marin's case, because obviously footballers' careers are finite. Um, and I think you know when you see a horrible sort of serious injury like that, that was through no fault of anyone but was, you know, a truly sort of horrendous thing to watch. It did sour what was a sort of, you know, should have been a great occasion um, through no one's fault of anyone. It's just great to see her sort of back on the pitch. I think from a mentality point of view, it's useful to have them back because there will be players in that dressing room, perhaps that will be getting a little bit nervous the way you're sort of, when you're hunting a team down, there'll be younger players in there that weren't necessarily as involved in the squad sort of last year. People like Charles Fleming, sort of that were on more the periphery now and who obviously wasn't there, Abdelina, who wasn't there, Lauren James, wasn't there, who was sort of also on the periphery last year. And it's that little bit of that extra confidence and that assurance where you've got two, you know, players that have been there, done that, got the T-shirt coming back into it. I think Marin's interesting because, again, I don't think you'll necessarily see a lot of minutes for her, but I think she's the sort of player that Emma will trust if, for example, Chelsea needed to see out a game and, you know, put an extra defender on and there were multiple options, I think she looked to Marin first and foremost for the calmness that she offers at the back and the ability to sort of, you know, maybe even if they needed to step down a wing, maybe put her on on the right-hand side of an attack um, or sort of move Neem Charles to the right-hand side of an attack and put Marin on as a fullback to specifically shut down a wing, if that was particularly problematic. Magda Eriksson's more interesting because obviously she's the captain and I think you could see even from yesterday when she came on, like there was an assurance and a leadership about her and you could sort of see that echoed through the players. At the same time, in her absence, Chelsea have maintained an incredibly good defensive record and, you know, all the players have played incredibly well. So it seems really harsh to me to sort of talk about dropping one of them. What I'd maybe prefer to sort of see is that if there is a formation change in the switch, I think you could probably play her at the back in a two. But I don't think they should bring Magda back if they're going to continue for three because she was really struggling with a three at the back at the beginning of the season. And I don't think she looks as confident in the three at the back because she ends up playing that wider centre-back role and then the wing-backs don't look settled because Carter, as we said, doesn't look as good at wing-back. I don't think we saw Magda and Yana, Yana playing as a wing-back for Magda. It was usually Gura Wrighton, but she isn't defensively as astute, which then pulls Magda out of position, and it creates a big gap in that area, which the central centre-back has to then come across for. And if you're playing against you know, a fluid front three, there's a lot of chances to exploit that. So I think it's a real challenge for Emma Hayes' leadership and man management, is how do you keep your captain happy without playing them every single minute for the rest of the season? Question though, do you think Magda Eriksson will look more relaxed in a back three if she's playing alongside Anik Nowen over Jess Carter? I don't know. This is a really this is a really interesting point because I think on one hand, yes, but on the other hand, I think it then depends who you have at wing back. Because I think if you have, say, let's say Jonna and Cuthbert at wing back, who are more apt and traditional in that role, 
then I think you can get away with it. But if you have Neen Charles, who does like to get forward on the right-hand side and does, you know, leave space in behind because of her pace, and also Wrighton, who, you know, let's face it, puts the wing in wing-back, um, it's it's going to leave you with spaces. And I think it was against Arsenal at the beginning of the season. We really saw that. And I appreciate, you know, not many WSL attacks can hold a candle to the Arsenal attack. But in these big games, all it's going to take coming towards the end of the season, all it will take is that one Spurs attack or that one Reading break. And suddenly Chelsea are in a really difficult situation for the rest of the game. So I, 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 I get that. But I think now compared to, I think, some of the games before, I think... The team generally, whether it's in a four or even a three, I think they just generally look more settled. I feel like every player in the in the back line has had enough game time through the season for them that whenever one of them comes in, they're 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 playing well. Like I think John has made an incredible comeback, especially in the back four. I would even be tempted if we wanted to play Magda at left wing, uh, left centre back. Sorry, if you know in the examples that we've said, and Anik Nawa in the middle, and say Millie Bright on the right hand side. I I would be okay with trying a John at left wing back, a Neve Charles at right wing back, because then you almost feel like you've got the the players. I think there's a lot more trust now, even with Jess Carter. And I think there's a, the, the trust factor is now back more than it was before in the beginning of the season with this back line. So I feel like because of that, they'll inherently be able to play a little bit more freely in their movements and in their subconscious rather than before, where at least in the beginning of the season and towards the first quarter of the season, it was a lot more of, ooh, Jess Carter's, oh, you know, I can't leave her alone, or John, I can't leave her move because if, if I move here, she's going to go out of position and I'm going to struggle and getting back. And I think those questions have been to some extent answered. So that's probably just be be my take. Um, I think we'll just end it with a couple of quotes from Emma Hayes from, from the game. Um, I'll, I'll just quickly, you know, point out a couple of things that she said. I mean, she said, you know, 45 minutes, we were outstanding in terms of our movement and we were dynamic. Um, you know, we made it difficult them to close off to spaces off, quality goals to them from distance. And we've hadn't had those for uh, for a while. So brilliant first 45. And, you know, she continues to say when you're 3-0 up, it's a commanding lead. I think I think the wind was a big factor. Uh, we struggled to build out of that wind and they changed their shape. We made five changes that always disrupts it. So it was a combination of kind of all of it. Um, you know, but she was, you know, she was full of praise of her team, including Wrighton and, and Aaron Cuthbert. And, you know, she says they're capable of that. You know, the second half of the season, we we're so demanding of more from players in terms of chipping in for goals. It's important. You can't leave all that for Sam with Fran out of the team. Others have to step up and they've done it again tonight. And I think that's a very good point. Like, goals are now coming from more areas of the pitch other than the front three, which is, which is good to see. Um, and, and like we said, it, it takes, and it, and I think it, it brings in a little bit of unpredictability into the side as well, because then teams can don't have to just game plan for the front three, because as amazing as the front three and as fluid as they are, you can still game plan to stop the front three. And if you manage to successfully do that, and when you know that the rest of the team isn't scoring it, it becomes a lot easier for the opposition team. But um, she kind of ends up, you know, ends with saying, I've never known us to have so many injuries as we've had this year. Of course, every team has them. But for us, this has probably been the most injured, you know, we've been. And I do think that's with the accumulation for the players with a lot of recovery. So many of them have felt uh, felt it at different points. points. Uh, so for us to cope, it's amazing, not just Aaron. The players have come into the team in the second half of the season and have been absolutely phenomenal. And I think... Everything we've just talked about over the last, you know, 30, 40 minutes is kind of echoed kind of these quotes from Hayes at the end of the game and kind of a testament to the whole thing. So finally, standout performers, 
Rob, who was your player that stood out yesterday? And 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 yeah. Erin Cuthbert, not just for the goal, but I thought her all-round play was brilliant, especially in the first half. And it's such a big bonus to have her back fit and being able to play her in that midfield in the running. Yeah, I found it quite hard to pick someone because I thought lots of people had very good games. Um, but I'm going to go with Penela, um, just because I didn't think... <laughs> this is going to sound silly. I didn't think she was great, but her great is so much better than everyone else. I thought her good was like still <laughs> high enough, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally does. Um, you know what? I'll... Um... I think I, I want I wanted to give it to Cuthbert because I think it's easy, but I think I'll go. I'll give it to Anik now. I think I think we talked about it earlier. She's just been so good for so many weeks now, and kind of gone on notice that I'm almost giving it on the accumulation of performances. Even though she was good last night, she kept a clean sheet. I mean, that's what you want from a defender, right? You want your defense to keep a clean sheet, and she did that. But I think playing in the middle of the back three, which I think is probably one of the most important positions of the back three itself, being able to to kind of control the two centre backs, left and right of her, you know, of, of different experience levels and ages, I think was was absolutely superb and, and it's been uh, absolutely fantastic. So, you know, a few a few big results yesterday. Um United conceded a last minute equaliser to West Ham and, and City beat Reading. So that really makes things interesting in the race for that top three, top four position. Um, and City can go level up points with United in the race for third if they win their game in hand. So suddenly, um, City have kind of come out of nowhere and they have a chance to finish in the top three, which would be really, really weird having had the worst start for them, an okay middle, and then they end up the season. I mean, yep, we still came third and we qualified for the Champions League. So that's a, that's a weird one. But the table as it stands is... Arsenal played 17. They're on 40 points. Um, Chelsea, with one game in hand, are on 38 points. So, like, like Rob, you said earlier, they've got a chance to go top of the table next week if um, you know if they uh, if they, if they win their game in hand. Um, United again played 17 on 32 points, so a little bit of a gap there. And and City again with a game in hand on 29. And then you know Tottenham, West Ham, Reading, Brighton, Everton, Villa, Leicester, and Birmingham kind of make up the rest of the uh, the rest of the league and. You know, it's interesting. We, you know, the games we've we've got coming in for the rest of the rest of the campaign. I mean, you know, it's it's Birmingham City next on on the twentieth of March on Sunday in the FA in the FA Cup quarterfinals. So that'll be an important game, and you know, another I think another trophy Chelsea will want to target in in their domestic uh, dominance that they've had in the last few years. And then you know, we we have uh, the big game on Wednesday against Tottenham. Uh, at home, uh, and then right after that we have Leicester away, and then you have a, and then you have Reading at Reading at home, and then you have a nice break for two three weeks with the international, you know, with the international break with uh, with again Spurs uh, away from home. So very winnable fixtures for Chelsea in the next few weeks, at least until April twenty fourth when when they come back and play Spurs again. Um, but anything you two want to add in last minute? Uh, go ahead. It seems sacrilegious, but I also I just want to uh, pay respect to what a great job. Ollie Hard has done at West Ham this year. I think considering the state that he found them in um, and the fact that his first game, I think, coming in was watching them get th- uh, whacked 6-0 in the Conti Cup last year in the semi-finals with Penilla Harder continu- you know, starting a hatred affair of West Ham. She hates which West Ham. Very, yeah, I, I think we all <laughs> She hates West Ham and she hates United. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think we all enjoy that. But it, it's, such, it's good to actually see a manager who, you know, he came in and said it's going to take time They've given him time and the same with Rahan Skinner at Tottenham. They've given her time and they're now actually, you know, benefiting of the results. Whereas 
from Everton's case, they didn't give Willie Kirk time. They didn't really give Jean-Luc Vasseur time. And I think, you know, Chris Roberts is the interim and they've just gone backwards this season. So I think it's important to, you know, stress that instant results don't always come. I remember when Emma first took over at Chelsea and the first years were lean. And obviously, you know, some people would have nowadays called for the head of the manager. But it's important to remember this does take time, especially, I think, in the women's game where the gulf is so big. Yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah. But with that, I think I think it's a wrap. Um, right, Chelsea fans, we'll be back next week. You know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. And thank you to Jesse and Rob. Um, you know, always a pleasure to, to record. And we'll see you guys next week. Thank you.